Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you. It's good to sing with you. It's good to worship with you. And man, we are just getting started. Um, Are you ready to hear a message from God's Word? All right. Then grab your Bible and turn or click to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, If you're new with us, we are spending our summer um, really going through this incredible chapter of the Bible that's all about love. Uh, According to Jesus, the most important thing in life is love. Uh, To learn to love God and other people, that is what you and I are made for. That is where we will come alive. And what this chapter of the Bible is here to do is it shows us what love looks like in the midst of real relationships. And so what we're doing this summer is we're just slowing down and taking this famous chapter, one description, one piece at a time, and looking at it uh, in hopes that we might grow in this most excellent way of living called love. Um, Last week, we looked at how love responds to others when uh, they sin against us. And today we're going to continue on that theme by looking at how love addresses the wrong itself. Um, Because while love always forgives, as we saw last week, that does not mean that love ignores that which blights beauty. Um, Rather, uh, what we're going to see in our text today is that love is a powerful force for justice in our world today. You ready to look at it? All right. Well, then we're going to begin um, by reading the entire description like we do every week. And because we're really just hoping to get this chapter in us, I want to try something a little different today. I want to invite you to stand if you're able, and we're going to read this chapter together. Uh, We're going to read the part of the chapter that's this description we've been looking at this summer. And I want to invite you to just open your hands like this to just have a posture of, God, I want to receive from you this morning. And um, we'll read this together. I guess on the count of three, I'm not used to doing this. Churches do this all the time. We'll just go one, two, three. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always, we'll go to the next slide here, it always protects, sorry, let's do that one more time. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Father, that is what we want. And would you make us more like this this morning? Would you make us more like you um, for our joy and your glory? In the beautiful name of Jesus, we ask, amen. All right, go ahead and grab a seat. You guys did a great job with that. I feel like you were better at that than me. It's a great thing to read scripture aloud together. Um, So today what we're going to be looking at is verse 6. That love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Uh, We'll take that in two parts. So we'll start with uh, love does not delight in evil. Now, what comes to your mind when I say that? Um, Maybe you think of a Bond villain. Um, Or better yet, we're kind of summer of love doing the 60s thing here. Maybe you think of Dr. Evil and his team laughing at their plan to get $100 billion. If that one went over your head, which it seems like it did, Google it. It's classic. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And while that would certainly be included here, since two of you got that reference, um, let me say this. Uh, This is a lot more ordinary than a supervillain delighting in their evil plans. 
Um, and to help you see that, um, I want to teach you a little Greek this morning. Are, are, are you up for that? Yeah. Okay. Um, I promise it'll be worth it. Uh, the Greek word here translated evil is adikia. Everyone say that with me. Adikia. Uh, the root word there uh, is the Greek word for justice or righteousness. Uh, it's a word that's used all over the Bible to talk about life that is in harmony with God's good design. Uh, it's describing a situation where you are in right relationship with everyone around you, and you are treating everyone around you with the dignity that they are due as image bearers of the living God. Uh, it's a great word. Um, but in our text, uh, the letter alpha uh, is attached to the front of it. It's the ah in adikia. Um, and in Greek, when you put an alpha on the front of a word, uh, it functions like in English when you put a suffix like in or un. So you can get, uh, it basically negates the word. So you go from considerate to inconsiderate. You go from aware to unaware. Some of you are like, you are unaware of how uninterested I am right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, here, here's the point. Uh, Adakia is speaking of a situation that is the opposite of justice. It's the opposite of treating someone fairly. And so, um, what is the English word we would typically use if we're talking about a situation that is the opposite of justice? Injustice. Now, here's the reason that I spent all of that time doing that. Because some of you are going to think I've gone liberal this morning by talking about injustice and how love fights for justice in the world. And I want you to see from the very outset that this is something the Bible talks about a lot. Um, I put a whole list of verses in your discussion guide. If you want to explore how widespread God's concern for justice is, uh, you could check those out this week. But the big idea for now is this. There is a way that life is supposed to be. There is a way that we are supposed to treat one another, and when people are robbed of that dignity, when people are robbed of the way they should be treated, of what they are owed as image bearers of the living God, there will be those who stand by and do nothing and say, that's none of my business, and there will be others who speak up and say, that's not okay. And what Paul is telling us is love chooses that latter option. Love does not delight in injustice, which is exactly how the New Living Translation translates this, by the way. Love does not delight in injustice. And my question for you this morning is, do you? When you see someone being mistreated, when you see someone being robbed of dignity, uh, when you see the good and right world that God intended being stripped away from someone or a situation, do you stay silent or do you speak up? And look, it's real easy to do this behind a keyboard. I'm not talking about if you're a keyboard warrior right now. I'm really uninterested in how tough you are online. I'm talking about in the midst of normal everyday life. When you see a coworker being mistreated. When you see a family member being used or manipulated or twisted for someone else's agenda. When you see a friend do something stupid or harmful. 
Um, or, I mean, when you're going through Toto Santos Square and you're there for Blues Night, you're there to have a good time, and you see someone who is clearly suffering from something, do you turn the other way or do you engage? And now all of a sudden it's not just Dr. Evil. It's all of us who by our action or more often our inaction give glad approval to the wrongs around us by saying or doing nothing. By witnessing injustice and saying, that's none of my business. Or, or my favorite excuse in Christian circles is, well, I just want to preach the gospel. As if the good news of Jesus has no implications for life in a broken world. That is an anemic gospel that has nothing to do with the love of God we read about in this chapter. Love does not delight in evil. Love does not stand by and say, just preach the gospel. Don't want to offend anybody. Don't want to make anybody mad. In the face of injustice, love doesn't stand by and do nothing. Love gets involved. Love doesn't rejoice in injustice. It confronts it. And it works to restore justice. If I were saying this on TikTok, I would say, love is a social justice warrior. But I can tell the Austin Powers and TikTok references are going over real good this morning. So we'll stick to the text. Love does not delight in injustice. It confronts it. It says that is not okay. And so the question I think we've got to ask this morning is, well, well how? Because um, I don't know if you noticed this. Maybe this is what the nervous laughter was just a moment ago. There's a lot of people talking about justice in our world today. There's a lot of people talking specifically about injustices. People are noticing it. People are hungry for a solution. And there are a lot of philosophies and theories and ideas about how to address the injustices in our day. But the solution of love that we read about in this chapter, it isn't theoretical. It isn't something someone thought up when they were smoking a little too much crack and came up with some interesting theory that they would try to convince a lot of people is good. This is a time, and now I've just offended everybody across the spectrum. This is a time-tested wisdom for how to address injustice and evil. This for 2,000 years has proven to be a powerful force for confronting injustice, for lifting up the marginalized, and changing the course of history. And so if you're in here and you, you are bothered by injustice and you want to see justice rolled down from on high you want to see the world made right you're in a great place you're in a really biblical place this morning love does not delight in injustice and what i would invite you to do is look at the back half of the verse because it's one thing to say i want to fight injustice it's quite another thing to do that in a way that's effective and actually accomplishes the ends for which you were hoping so let's move from love does not delight in injustice to looking at how love confronts injustice and works to restore goodness in the world. Let's look at verse 6 again. We get, love does not delight in evil or injustice. You could translate that either way. 
but it rejoices with the truth. That's it. That's how love confronts injustice. It's by rejoicing with the truth. And so the question is, what does it mean to rejoice with the truth? Um, let's start with what it can't mean. This cannot mean being cruel or mean-spirited or using the truth like a club to beat people into submission with. Re remember what we've seen in this series about love being patient and kind. Or, or how about how love is not rude or proud thinks it's better than others. See, what, whatever this means here, it has to be consistent with all of that. This is why we read this whole description together every single week, because what we can sometimes do is we take one Bible verse out of its context, and we completely miss what the Bible's actually saying. And we don't want to do that. It's why we read the description together. And so what I can tell you from the whole description is this dang sure doesn't mean that. We have to hold this whole description together. And when you do, what you'll see is there is a way to rejoice with truth that isn't unkind or rude, but in fact pushes back injustice and is the very definition of love. So what does that look like? Um, as I've been thinking about this this week, I keep coming back to four things I think this means for us. Um, and so what I want to look at this morning, I want to talk about four ways that we can live this out, that we can be a people who rejoice with the truth and push back injustice in our day and become a powerful force for justice. I want to look at those four, and then we'll get you out of here to the sunshine. Sound like a good deal? All right. Number one, to rejoice with the truth means to value truth. Um, see, we live in a day where anyone can post anything online. Anyone. And um, I actually think there's a lot of good in that. It's made information a lot more accessible. Like, I was just thinking about it the other day. Like, what did we do before we could Google who was in that movie or what that song lyric was or what that obscure pop culture reference that the pastor made on Sunday was? What, what did we do before we had this at our fingertips? So... Man, being able to post things online and having anyone be able to do it, it's made more information accessible. And that's a really good thing. I'm very grateful for that. The problem is, a lot of that information isn't true. Like, this is a true story. Uh, I had someone message me on Facebook on Thursday. And they sent me a video. Uh, that was, uh, this was a produced news story about a drug that is causing a zombie-like outbreak right here in the United States. And it was a produced news story, like people put money into this, it was built, it was put together, and it's like the zombies are going to take over tomorrow. This week. Now, given who sent it to me, I was like, probably not. But maybe I should go check in on The Walking Dead and get some strategy just in case. No, I mean, and, and look, that's an extreme example, okay, admittedly. Um, but there's a lot of untrue stuff on the internet. And see, the thing, I, I'm just thinking about this. I think what happens is we want to win so badly that if we see an article or a news story or something online that supports our narrative, 
then what we tend to do, tell me if you've ever done this, is you post it and you spread it without stopping to consider, is that true? Because we're like, that works for my side. I like that and I want to win, so I'm going to put it online. I mean, maybe you're not that thoughtful about it, but how many of you have ever posted, seen something that seemed, I can't believe that's true, and then you post it and then you realize you shouldn't have believed that was true? Anyone been there? Okay, I'll be the only honest one in the room, two honest people in the room. God can work with that. And look, I think, I think the reason we don't even want to admit it, it's because we don't want to look up the truth. Because I think if we could be honest with God and with ourselves, you don't have to be honest with me right now, but if you could be honest, I think sometimes maybe you've experienced like I have, you wonder, what if the truth doesn't support my side? And, and, and seriously, here's how you could find out if you're doing this. The next time you're in a conversation with someone about something heated, and they ask you, is that true? Can you provide facts, statistics, data? And you get fired up and you get angry? Consider, why are you angry? Are you so committed to a narrative that all of a sudden the truth has become a threat to you? Sometimes I think we don't want to look at the truth because we just want to win. And so the truth could go against us. And so none of us are psychos where we actively think, oh, I want to win, so I'm not going to do that. But I'm telling you, after reflection, I think this is what goes on when we don't look. We're afraid that the truth won't support our side. And we want to win because we're sure our side is right. And look. Sometimes the truth won't support your side. But love understands that truth, no matter how inconvenient or challenging it is for your perception and your worldviews and my preferences and my ideas, no matter how challenging it is for all of that, love understands that the truth will always set you free. Always. And love cares more about justice and setting the world right than it does about being right. And so if we're going to be a people who rejoice with the truth, I think we've got to learn to value truth, to be unafraid to look it up and provide our sources. And this begins with everyday simple stuff. Uh, like if someone asks you at work, hey, is that project done? And you haven't even started it. Do you say, almost, Do you exaggerate to make yourself look more impressive in social situations? Or do you tell the truth, no matter the cost of what it means for you? Um, are you known as someone who's integritous? Or are you like my buddy on Facebook, when you post something, your friends roll their eyes and go, there she goes again. See, this is where it begins. It begins with everyday stuff. Do we value the truth? Because love does. Love rejoices with the truth. Number two, to rejoice with the truth means being willing to speak truth to power. See, injustice everywhere relies on the truth being suppressed. 
um, it generally begins with denying the humanity of another person. Because once you deny the humanity of another person, you can justify doing almost anything to that person. Uh, this is the only way you can explain the evil that is abuse or rape, is you get one person who is just denied the humanity of another person and goes, they're an object to be used, they're not a human to be loved. And this doesn't just happen at the personal level, this can happen at a societal level, where the humanity of entire groups of people gets denied. And this is how you get the madness of slavery, of abortion, of everything in between, is you say those people aren't humans, and so we don't have to treat them like it. And it's in the face of injustice like this, personal or societal, that love stands up and says, that is a human being and you cannot treat them that way. There will be a cost to this. It is never popular to speak truth to power. We always like the people who speak truth to power after they're dead and gone and can't challenge us anymore. History reflects it well, but in the moment, it's never popular to speak truth to power. Because the Bible tells us that we humans are broken, and so we prefer to hide in the dark rather than come into the light. And so the light is threatening to us, and so we want to suppress it, and so we hide deeper and deeper into the dark. And so if you want to be someone who in love speaks truth to power, I promise you what you can expect to happen is people will tell you to shut up, sit down, and be quiet. And if an evil has enough cultural power behind it, if it, if the society, if it is societal, systemic enough, what you will be asked to do is not only shut up and sit down and be quiet, but you will ask to actually be actually asked to applaud and give approval to that thing, that injustice, that form of brokenness. Because even your silence can speak volumes. And people don't want to see the light. They don't want to be confronted in their darkness. And so if it's societal enough, it won't even be shut up. It'll be you better start approving and applauding of this which is evil. That's the pressure we'll face. And what Paul says, speaking truth to power, it's never popular. But what Paul says is love refuses to rejoice in evil. It refuses to applaud that which would hurt other people, no matter how loud the pressure is. And not only does love refuse to delight in evil, but it will actively rejoice in the truth. And part of that means exposing the lies that perpetuate injustice wherever they're found. Um, the way Paul says it in another letter, Ephesians chapter 5, is take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This is what love does. No matter how inconvenient it is for those in power, no matter what it costs, love speaks up. Love speaks truth to power. And again, I... 
I really just want to warn you this morning that if you do this, you will have people, here's the crazy thing, you will have people accuse you of being unloving. If you do what the Bible says love is, I promise you, I've had it happen, you probably have too, you will be called unloving. This is like the knee-jerk reaction in our culture where the second you say, I don't think that's a good idea, I don't think that's true, I think that might actually hurt, people will say, why are you so unloving? And, and look, I, I don't think we should be quick to dismiss that charge. If someone accuses you of being unloving, I do think you need to check your own heart and say, am I being consistent with the whole description of love here? Maybe we are unloving, but maybe we are rejoicing with the truth and seeking to help someone and push back injustice and bring the life and love of God into the world. And, and I don't know, you're probably thinking about situations in your life. I can't tell you what it is. I can tell you that if you ask, Holy Spirit, would you reveal my heart to me? It's a prayer God loves to answer. But at the end of the day, if you, with God's help, and the help of some friends that you invite into your life, look at this and go, man, I am speaking truth to power in a way that is patient and kind. I'm not being rude or self-seeking or proud. But I'm just trying to rejoice with the truth in a way that can help. If that's what you conclude, then at the end of the day, you might just have to be content saying, I'll let God's opinion of me matter more than that person's opinion of me. No matter the cost. Even if it costs me my job for reporting that thing that I saw. Even if I lose friends or influence or popularity for speaking up for that thing. I'm going to let God's opinion of me matter more than what some humans think. Because love rejoices with truth. And we don't speak truth to power because it's popular or cool. We speak truth to power because we love too much not to. That's the vision of this chapter. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with truth. Number three. Rejoicing with the truth means being known more for what you are for than what you are against. See, I want you to notice, Paul doesn't just say that love is loud with the truth. He says love rejoices with it. Do you hear it? There's a happiness there. Love isn't crusty or angry. It's joyful. It rejoices with the truth. If I hadn't already played the Greek card, I'd show you there's actually participation here. But you can even see it in English, right? Love rejoices with the truth. It's like the truth is your buddy and you've got your arms around and you're like, we're having a great time. You're awesome. No, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. There's a joyfulness that's going on here that he has in mind here. And so this is more than simply being someone who knows the truth and calls out untruths wherever you see it. 
That's necessary, but it is not enough. You can't call it love if you run a watch blog that's constantly critiquing all of the wrongs of the preachers, politicians, whatever your interest is in the world. Love rejoices with the truth. That means living a life so full of joy because of the positive vision of truth and justice and goodness in the way that you know God has designed the world to be, that you overflow out of that positivity and joy to bring that life to the world around you. Does that describe you? Are you known as someone who's joyful? If I asked your family members or a coworker or a neighbor and said, is he joyful, is she joyful, what would they say? Are you known as someone who has a positive vision of life, who is just so full of life, and you're motivated by the goodness that is bursting forth within you, that that's what drives everything that comes out of your mouth and out of your life with your actions in your life? No one embodied this better than Jesus. Um, Jesus preached truth uh, bolder than anyone else. Jesus said some very, very challenging, difficult things. Jesus spoke truth to power. But he did it while rejoicing with the truth. He was so full of life and the positive vision of what his kingdom is and what he has come to do that wherever he would confront injustice, it was always on the way to lead someone toward life. And so when sinners would come into his presence, they wouldn't say, that's unloving or feel condemned. They would say, sure, I'll go with you because that's a vision of life that I'm willing to give this stuff up for. Are you full of life like that? When you speak up, is it constantly corrective? Or is it more often positive? Are you somebody who, if we were to keep score this week of all the comments that come out of your mouth and have one column where you're critiquing what's wrong and one column where you're praising what's right, what column is going to have more scores on it? You might say, well, I don't see a lot of good to be praised in the world around me. Well, here's the thing. Love will. Love will find something praiseworthy in any moment and lead with a positive vision, not a critical one. Because love rejoices with the truth. It doesn't just know the truth. It doesn't just speak the truth. It rejoices with it. And I think what often happens, I think where our best attempts to speak truth, to power, and to value the truth fly off the rails is we can lack love, and so when we finally speak up, we're speaking the truth, not out of love, but out of annoyance. To put people in their place. Because we're just so frustrated and fed up with them and the ways that they fall short. And I will tell you this, people see right through that. And I think this is why, even though we have the best of intentions, people will often accuse us of being unloving when we speak up for the truth. Like, let's just have some real talk. There is a difference. I want to give you a practical example, something that's going on in our world right now where you can see this one. There is a difference between being anti-abortion and pro-life. There are those who would campaign against abortion to score political points 
and to be able to call their opponents evil and to be able to dunk on them. And I don't think you can call that pro anything. If you're new here, what you need to know about our church is that we are working to see an end to abortion in our day. But it's not because we're, we hate women. It's not because we're sold out to any one political party. It's because we believe that all life has value. That God loves every single person he has ever made. That he has a plan and a purpose for every human he knits together and thinks up and creates. And that no matter how bad or dark a situation is, death never has to be the option where Christ has come and defeated death and opened up a better way. This is the truth that brings us together. That life is a gift that grace is real, and there is no pit so deep that God can't reach in with his hand and lift up and bring life where you thought the only option was death. And so, yeah, we're pro-life here at Fair Oaks. Unashamedly so. And that means that we are as concerned with loving and caring for a mother in a crisis pregnancy as we are the child she is carrying. And if we become known for anything in this valley, I pray that it will be as being a community that is so for life and redemption and flourishing that anyone can come in here, no matter what they've done, and find help and healing and life in Jesus' name. That's the truth that we cherish here. And when you rejoice in the truth like that, there is life and help and healing in Jesus' name. It's a lot harder to dismiss you as unloving or uncaring. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It celebrates that we have so much in Jesus. We have so much to give here. If only people would give us an opportunity to share it. And, and, and that leads us to number four. To rejoice with the truth means having your life gladly shaped by the story of the gospel. See, when, when Paul is uh, talking about uh, the gospel, and it's not just Paul, really. Uh, when the New Testament authors want to talk about the gospel, that's just a word that means good news. When they want to talk about the good news about Jesus, they'll often use this phrase. They'll call it the word of truth. L let me give you an example from the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians 1, Paul's talking about the hope that we have in Jesus, the life we have in his name, the new options and opportunities that's bursting into this world through his death and resurrection. And he writes this in verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. What he's saying by referring to the gospel in this way is that of all the truths in the world, none is more important than this. That though our world is marred by injustice 
and evil. It won't always be that way. That God's kingdom of love and justice has already invaded this world through the person and work of Jesus. And, and it's, it's ebbing forth. It's changing things. And one day that kingdom will descend to earth and wash over every square inch of this planet and wipe away all injustice, all in evil. So there will be no tears and no mourning and no death and no crying anymore, but life and flourishing and justice and righteousness forevermore. That's the hope of the gospel. And what we hear in the word of truth, the gospel, is that God loves us so much that he has made a way for us, sinners like us, who participate in the injustice and evil in this world through our own sin, through saying nothing, through giving glad approval to it. He loves us so much that he sees us doing that and he sends his son Jesus. To make a way through his death and resurrection for us to become citizens of his kingdom. So that we, who experience brokenness and death in our life, might experience life and justice and healing in Jesus' name. This is the gospel that we celebrate, that Jesus has come to give us a new kind of life, free from the injustice and evil that tend to weigh us down, and full of the good and true and beautiful way that God made life to be. And the greatest part of the gospel is that that life, it's not waiting in heaven. It begins now. Heaven has invaded earth in the person and work of Jesus, and this is the good news of the gospel that God's kingdom of love and justice is invading this world, and anyone can get on and on this today. And if we're going to be a people who rejoice with the truth, I think above all, above everything else, that means we must be a people who gladly allow this truth to shape the story of our lives. That means recognizing the parts of our life there are out of step with the way of Jesus and allowing him to shape us and transform us there. To say, that's the old you. I'm taking you to a new you. Let's go. And so my question for you this morning, do you want to be a person who in love brings justice into this world? It's where do you need to say yes to Jesus this morning? Maybe you need to believe the truth that he loves you in spite of all that stuff in your life. And to stop running from him, trying to clean yourself up, trying to get better. Maybe today is the day that you need to say, Jesus, I believe the word of truth, the gospel, the good news that you proclaim is true. I believe that you can love me in spite of all the stuff I'm struggling with. In spite of all the ways that I'm not getting it right. Maybe today is the day you believe he loves not a future version of you, but you right where you are at right now, and today is the day you come home and receive his love. And just let him love you right where you're at. Maybe today is the day you need to repent of that thing he's been calling you to repent of. Repent is just the Bible's word for change your mind about something. See, if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you, you know that that he loves you enough to area by area go and point on those things that are broken, that are out of step with his kingdom, and to say, I have more life than that. Maybe this morning is the day 
you need to change your mind about that thing and say, Jesus, I believe that you know the best way to life. I believe that you've brought love and justice into this world. And even though that doesn't fit my definition of love and justice, I believe you are good. I believe you're crossed an empty tomb. Show me that you are good and you are worth following. And so, yeah, I'll give that to you this morning. Um, I, I don't know what it looks like for you, but I will tell you this. It is only when you are encountering the powerful, never stopping, never giving up, life-changing love of God in the gospel like this that you will be free to really value the truth like we talked about. Because if the love of God is in you, it, you have nothing to fear about the truth. There's nothing you could learn about yourself that would uh, threaten you. There's no sin that could be uncovered in your life that can separate you from the love of God. It might surprise you. It hasn't surprised him. He knows and in full view of that darkness laid his life down for you because he loves you. And so the gospel frees us to be free to look into the truth because we have nothing to fear in the truth. And it's the only way you can speak truth to power. Because when the love of God is in you, you know that though you might lose a lot, no one can take him from you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing in this life nor in the age to come. Nothing in the physical realm or the unseen realm. Not Satan, not your boss, not your spouse, not the other person down the street. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And when you believe that, then you're free to speak truth to power. Because you're like, you might take something from me for saying this, but you can't take him from me. And he is better than you. And this is the only way you will ever be able to have a positive vision in life. Instead of constantly being frustrated about the injustice of this world. Um, every movement for justice will ultimately devolve if it doesn't start out angry and frustrated and critical and stealing life, even if it starts off with a noble cause, unless there's gospel there. Because here's the thing, our world is really broken. And apart from the supernatural, otherworldly love of God being at work in you, if you seek to fight for justice, you will get discouraged, you will get angry, you will get bitter, you will get mean. You will be the kind of person people don't want to invite to parties because they don't want to hear you rant. But if the love of God is in you, it frees you to look darkness in the eye and say, that's dark, but the light is greater still, and the light has come into the world, and the darkness can't overcome it. And so though it looks dark, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to lean into the light because I believe light has the last word, that love has the last word, that justice will one day wash over this world. And until then, we get to be agents of renewals, bringing that into our little pockets of influence wherever we go. just think, man, what an opportunity we have. We live in a day where our friends and our neighbors, they might not be interested in Jesus, but they're interested in justice. They're hungry for it. They long for it. And I just think about this, what if we were freed up to pursue justice like this? What if we were freed up to be the strongest advocates for the marginalized? 
to rejoice with the truth and push back injustice and evil. What might that say to that neighbor of yours that you think would never be interested in Jesus? What might they say if they see justice rolling down like waters from your house? Would that create some intrigue? There's only one way to find out. Jesus, I thank you that you are patient and kind. I feel this topic of justice. We struggle with this one. We want the good world you've designed, but we are so bad at pursuing it. And so, Lord Jesus, what I ask this morning is that you would give us more of you, that you would fill us with your love, that you would maybe help fill our best intentions with the right motivations to whether we need to finally speak up or if maybe we need to tone it down a bit. Would you help us to find the right balance that is neither um, frustrated, condemning others, or cowardly silent, but would be a gospel-loving voice for justice in this world? I feel the weight of this. We cannot find that balance without you, but you have that balance. You bring love and justice like no one ever can. And so I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and make us a people who are so full of your love and what you've done to bring us into a world of justice and righteousness that that might roll down like waters out of our life to those around us. Help us to respond to you wherever it is this morning. Speak to us, we ask in your beautiful name.